Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. But you know what? It's more than that. We want to help you thrive in the midst of today's cancel culture. Our goal is to raise up workplace warriors who will stand for what they believe in, whatever the cost. You can find out more by visiting expertownership.com. But without further ado, here we go. So today we're talking about the biblical foundation for wealth. Um, and, and here's the powerful question that we want to ask. Is it biblical to create wealth? Now, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're like, yeah, of course it is. But we want to Or ask, maybe you might say no. It just depends. We want to look deep into this as to what well, what does the Bible say about that? Because typically when David and I go speak, we got about half the room that was raised to believe that you shouldn't talk about money in church, you know? Like you could talk about money in other places, but like specifically not in church. And, and yeah. David, you know, I mean, obviously you guys know we're, we're talking to church people here. We're talking to folks who want to make a kingdom impact, you know, through business. That's what expert ownership is all for. So you guys are in church and about half the people were raised, man, you shouldn't be talking about that. The love of money is the root of all evil. And it's yes, true. the love of the money is the root, but money's not the root. It's the love of it. Um, and the other half, you know, honestly, they're raised either that it's okay to talk about it or they talk about it too much. So yeah. you got you got ditches on both sides. You got ditch the ditch on one side that's the poverty gospel. Don't ever talk about it. You know, but yet you're you know <laughs> the the easy uh thing for you is to write a support letter rather than to go out and to offer something of value if you're gonna go on a missions trip. You know? And I might have stepped on a toe there. I had a guy I mean a business owner who was doing really well financially, sent us a support letter for his missions trip. And I actually sent an email back and said, hey, bud, isn't your business doing really well? He's like, yeah, I just want to give people an opportunity to partner with me. Oh, gosh. And I'm like, bro. Don't say that. Bro. I'll I'll partner with somebody that's poor or partner with somebody that's been called to the office of missionary overseas or whatever, but for heaven's sakes. Okay, anyway, we're we're like going far afield. But then the other side is the prosperity gospel, where it's just that name it, claim it. God just wants to bless you. And he does want to bless you, but he wants to bless you so that you can be a blessing. That's exactly right. And did you know there are more verses on money, riches, and wealth than any other specific topic in the scripture? There's like 2,500. Ask yourself why that would be. And here's why I think it would be, because money represents security. That's why it's called financial security, right? The more money you got, the more secure you feel. And we're not supposed to find our security in money or anything else. We're supposed to find our security in God. And therefore, God talks about the one thing that can take away what's rightfully his. He talks a lot about it. And that's why wealth is so incredibly important. Now, before we talk about it, we want to define it. Here's the definition that we have of wealth. wealth. Jason and I developed this through our, all of our speaking at Life Surge. And it's been very fun. Yeah. Well, the Life Surge team helped us develop this. But so, wealth, financial resource that gives you options. Do you want options? Well, that's what wealth is. Wealth is financial resource that gives you options. You have the option to do things, awesome things, if you got the wealth. Now, here's the thing. Um, our dad was a pastor. You guys know this. And when he was in seminary, he learned this thing called the law of first mention. And the law of first mention says, if you want to know what God really thinks about something, go back to the first time it was mentioned in the scripture, see what it meant then. So, um, Jesus did this when he was asked about divorce. He went back to the first time marriage was mentioned in Genesis two 
and he looked at what marriage was intended to be before sin entered the world. So if Jesus did that with marriage, we can do that with wealth. And if we go all the way back to the very beginning, we look at Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth. Think about earth, like the dirt that you can get under your fingernails. Do you know what's inside the dirt? Resources. Resources. Listen to the definition of a resource, a stock or supply of an asset that can be drawn on by a person or organization to function effectively. Is that not cool? There are assets in the ground. God put them in the ground to help us function, and he called them resources. Why? Because they reflect the source. Who's our source? God. And it's in the ground. So it makes sense that we go get the resources that are in the ground. What does the left not want us to do? Go work the ground. And they blame it. Be dependent on the government. And they blame it on the environment and the animals. That's exactly right. They say it's going to hurt our environment. It's going to hurt our animals. But Satan doesn't want us digging that's right. Because doesn't God want us to put, harvest the resource from the ground. Keystone put, pipeline. I don't care what the left says about their reasoning. God created us to dig because he put resources in the ground. And to be good stewards of that. So you've got to be a good steward. It's like you don't just throw out any type of environmental concern. Of course, we don't pollute our water and we pick up our trash and all of these things. We're going to be good stewards, but we're not going to be perpetually enslaved to the environment and the animals, and so therefore we will not cultivate the resources yeah. that God has called us to cultivate, well, that he put in the ground for us to that's cultivate. That's a great, it's, it's a good transition. You just said cultivate, because in Genesis 2, 5, it says this, now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, which meant there were resources in the ground, but they hadn't come up yet. Why? The verse says, for the Lord had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. You know what cultivate means? Cultivate means to acquire and develop. To acquire and develop. Man was to dig into the dirt, acquire assets, and develop them for his use. That is why there are resources in the ground. And then God put man on the ground and said, I want you to dig for those things. I want you to acquire them, and I want you to develop them. Okay? I want you to do that. And here's the key. God went first. Did God create Eve the same way she created Adam? He created Adam. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Way to go. You're getting that radical left. I know, in, right? Infiltrating your brain. Father, mother, God. Yeah. No. Did God create Eve the same way that he created um, Adam? No. no. He spoke Adam into Actually, he didn't speak Adam. He took he cultivated. dust of the ground. And then how did he create Eve? He took from Adam. So he took something, right? So with Adam, he dug into the dirt. And he took dust and he cultivated from that dust and created a man. Okay, so God went first. You see, God spoke everything else into existence, but he did not speak Adam. He cultivated. He did not speak Eve. He cultivated. Uh That's what we are supposed to do. The prosperity gospel, the false prosperity gospel, says you speak things into existence. And it's like, whoa, hold on a second. Speaking that red Porsche into existence, like... There's all kinds of ways that that can be very, very twisted and wrong. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stay in Genesis 2 because this is important. Now, a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From there, it divided into four rivers. Now, I want to stop there. Do you want to know the names of these four rivers that were in the Garden of Eden? Pishon, Gishon. <laughs> were you waiting you for answer. me? The Pishon, Gishon. I think I'm pronouncing those right. The Tigris and the Euphrates. There you go. Okay, and guess what that those um, rivers mean? The Pishon. You know what the name Pishon means? 
increase. Gishon means bursting. Tigris means rapid. And Euphrates means fruitful. Mm. Those are abundance words. Those are abundance words. And it says there in Genesis 2, Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From that river that came from the Garden of Eden, it became four rivers that literally watered the earth. And all of those were abundance words. The name of the first is Pishon. It says here in Genesis 2, verse 11 and 12, it flows around the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. The very first specific asset, the very first specific resource listed by name in the Bible is gold. Genesis 2, 12. Go look at it. 2, 11 and 12. And then it says, the gold of that land is good. God made gold before he made man. And he said it was good. God made wealth before he made man to work for it. So God made man and he put him on the ground, says, I want you to work. Work for what? For the wealth that's in the ground. Then in Genesis 2.15, then the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. So before sin, Adam was to acquire and develop the resources that were in the ground. That included gold to provide for his family and future generations and to promote God's kingdom agenda on the earth. Now, here's the question. When did that call stop? It didn't. It didn't stop. Here's what happened. Sin came in and perverted our motivation for getting it and our intention on using it. But we are still called to cultivate. We're still called to work for wealth. And this is why God wants us to disciple nations. Because if your nation is discipled, your nation will be based on the principles of freedom that gives you opportunities to grow wealth. Mm -hmm. If your nation is not discipled, you will not have opportunities to grow wealth. That's right. You will only have the opportunity to work, but you don't get the reward for that opportunity. The government gets it. The government gets it. It Seizes it. That's right. That's That's where where, um, Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum a few years ago, said... By 2030, you'll own nothing. He's talking to the world. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. What the heck does he mean by that? You know what he means by it? We'll own everything. The globalists, the elites, the governments will own it all. They want the resources. They want the wealth. That's right. But sin came in, so it perverted our motivation for getting the gold, for getting the wealth, for getting the money, for getting that resources, and our intention on using them. See, well, just think about what sin did. Think about think about the way God created in the Garden of Eden. He created marriage. He created man and woman. He created that's their gender. He created sexual intimacy in the context of that marriage. He created work. He created wealth. He created all these things. He even created maximum freedom with limited regulation. From any tree you may freely eat, but from this tree you may not. What's the devil doing? Now sin enters the world and the very things that God created are good now can become corrupt. So it's lust and it's greed and it's arrogance and it's pride and it's selfishness, all of these things. It's not the things God created. It's the sin that then bends our intentions and motivations on the very things that he created. Yes. And all through the Bible, we see people who use gold for good and gold for bad. You guys know the story of Aaron, the priest, you know, Moses's brother, they come up out of Egypt, and they came out of rich people. They had lots of gold. The, the Egyptians gave them gold and jewelry and all sorts of stuff to get out of Egypt because at that point, Egypt was decimated from the plagues. So the Egyptians were like, we'll give you anything to get out. And so the Israelites left a rich people. Well, Aaron, the priest, he was a full-time ministry guy. He took that gold and made an idol that drew people away from God. That's bad. But then David, King David, he was the full-time workplace guy like all of us, 
he was also a guy who had a lot of gold and he used that gold to build a temple to actually develop the building of a temple. And, um, it, that temple drew people toward God. So Aaron uses gold, draws people away from God. David uses gold, draws people toward God. The problem isn't gold. The problem isn't wealth. The problem isn't money. It's our motivation for getting it and our intention on using it. And there's bad theology on both sides. But you, as an expert owner, need to stay at the midpoint of biblical tension. So let me give you three things. Okay? These three things. David and I, when we go speak at Life Search, we talk about these three things. I'm not going to go in depth in all of these. I'm just going to give you the overview. There are three aspects of wealth. If you want to stay in line with the biblical framework for wealth, you need to understand the reason, the requirement, and the reward. The reason for wealth, the requirement for wealth, and the reward of wealth. The reason for wealth is to provide and promote. I said that earlier. Adam, his job was to cultivate, was to dig into the ground, acquire resources, and develop them for his use. Okay, He had to do that, and that included gold. Why would he do that? To provide for his family and future generations and to promote God's kingdom agenda on the earth. That's the reason for wealth. So the requirement for wealth is one simple word, faithfulness. When we were kids, dad would say, God's not calling you to be successful. He's calling you to be faithful. And so when you think about faithfulness, think about faithfulness in the context of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and Luke 19. Faithfulness is multiplication. It's those that multiply the opportunities and the resources that God gives them. And that's, of course, a spiritual reality first, is God wants us to be multipliers, multipliers of his kingdom. He wants us to be faithful to evangelize and to disciple. And this is what is absolutely vital for us as Christians. Not well, that's to be what, the, that's just, what the, the, the rich uh, uh, man said to those two servants that multiplied their income. He said, well done. Good and faithful Good servant. and faithful servants. That's what faithfulness looks like is multiplication. That's exactly right. So when they came back and multiplied, that was what the master told them. But that's that's the requirement of wealth. But then what is the reward of wealth? The reward is three simple things, income, inheritance, and influence. God wants you to create an income. Read 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, and 12. God also wants you to give an inf- uh, inheritance. inheritance to your kids. Read Proverbs 13, 22. But God also doesn't want it to just stop there because income and inheritance can become idolatry very quickly. These are good things God gives you, but if it stops there, then it could easily become idolatry. It's got to shift to influence. And when you look at the parable of the talents in both Matthew 25, well, actually Luke 19 shares it and says, well done, good and faithful servant. But he didn't stop there. He said, here's charge over 10 cities. Here's charge over five cities. To those that multiplied, to those that were faithful, he gave influence over the city. And that the devil does not want God's people to have influence in the cities anymore. I mean, he never yeah. did, but we're certainly seeing that now more than ever. The marketplace has become a battlefield. And so our churches, instead of jumping aboard a cruise ship, we should be battleship pre- prepared in our churches, right? When you're on a cruise ship, you're a passenger that's a consumer, but when you're on a battleship, you're a soldier that's a producer. It's a completely different identity. So we want to utilize business, our businesses. And if you haven't heard about us saying, turn your business into a passive income creating vehicle so you can become a seapreneur, go back an episode and you can listen to our seapreneur, how to become a seapreneur. We I talk all about that. It might that, be but, a couple episodes back. But, but either way, um, we, we want to no longer be a, on a cruise ship of, hey, I'm a business owner, Christian, and everything is easy for me, and I'm wealthy, and I take vacations. And No, go get influence. Mm-hmm. Get influence in the city. 
You need to be impacting our governments. You need to be impacting our school systems. You need to be impacting the media. And when you do, Satan is going to turn his guns facing right towards you. David and I watched, oh man, you guys got to watch this, the movie Nefarious. Mm. Oh my goodness. Uh, I think every Steve Deese, uh, every push that out. Christian adult in the world should watch this. I mean, even non-Christians, but listen, you'll get a chance to really see how Satan works and how the demonic strongholds work in people's minds. And this dude was in jail and I won't tell you the, the whole thing, but he was in, inhabited by demons. Okay. And they brought a priest in. And instantly he gets up, he's scared to death of the priest. He's like, get away from me, get away from me, all this kind of stuff. And then the priest, he was a kind of a left-leaning priest. And he says, you know what? I don't really believe in demons. I don't believe in all this stuff. Oh, and, man. and then you could see the guy just kind of calm down. He goes, oh, huh. oh, okay, that's great. Got you. So what's your name? Uh, yeah, okay. Hey, would you, maybe you can get come in and have coffee with me sometime. And the, the, the demon guy is talking like this. He's buddying up with the priest because the priest didn't believe that well, the demons were real. Yeah. What's worse than a wolf in, she- in, in sheep's clothing is a wolf in shepherd's clothing. And one step worse than that is a wolf in she- is a sheep, sheep in shepherd's clothing. And that's what a lot of our spiritual leaders are. They are sheep in shepherd's clothing. They would rather pray with Goliath than slay him. Yeah. And in this battle that we see, now this does apply to business, but we are Christians in business. In this battle that we see raging, it's a spiritual battle. It is not a political battle. It is not a gender battle. It's not a race battle. It's not an economic battle. It is a spiritual battle that manifests across all of these other fields. There are two types of people. There are the enslaved and the enslavers. The enslaved are 99% of everyone you come in contact with. They're simply enslaved to sin, just like many of us were at one point, and Jesus set us free. And the way Jesus dealt with enslaved people, like the woman caught in adultery, he compassionately reached out to them. But then there are those 1% that they are the enslavers. They have sold themselves to do the will of Satan. They don't know this, but they have. And that is many people in the Democratic Party, even in the Republican Party, many people in mainstream media, many people in Hollywood, many people in the workplace. You look at Bud Light, you look at Target, you're looking at Starbucks and American Airlines and PayPal. I mean, these are these are radicals that have overtaken human rights campaign, GLAD, GLSEN, Southern Poverty Law Center, these groups, the Rainbow Coalition, ACLU, I could could continue, NAACP, these groups have sold themselves to do the works of Satan. They don't know that. They don't know that. But the way that Jesus dealt with them is he courageously fought for truth and spoke truth to power. That's what we have to do because we've been so like, we, we pixie stick ourselves to death on the cruise ship of the American church. And it's time to actually eat the meat of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the battleship of true biblical Christianity and realize we are soldiers. So we move forward. The reason we talk like that is because we're talking to kingdom entrepreneurs and we want you to go crush it, to earn some wealth and use that not just for income for your family, not just for inheritance for your family and future generations, but for influence. That's right. To take influence over cities, to take influence over communities and states and nations, and uh, and even doing it over your church. You know, that's right. Using the the wealth and the income that God gives to you. So that's the biblical foundation for wealth. Look, we we took this straight out of the book of Genesis. We used the law of first mention. We've honored the laws of hermeneutics, okay? And David and I are not 
you know, we didn't go to seminary or any of that. Dude. We guys. just straight up read the Bible. We read the Bible, but I know the laws that you're supposed to follow if you really want to see what the Bible says about something. And we've just shared that with you. And uh, and by God's grace, we lived it out in our lives. And it's just a powerful place to be. And we want you to be there. Come on, with the uh, the the rich ruler, not not the rich young ruler, but the rich guy who gave all the the um, the talents to those men. And when they came back, and he said, "Well done, good and faithful servant." There's a version of that story that says, now enter the joy of your master. That's right. Okay. He knows that there are joys that you can have when you're a a person of wealth and you're a person of means where you control the means of production. And uh, there's a joy that you can have when you're on the top of the food chain that you can't have any other way. And we want you to get there. We want you to be financially free. We want you to be able to use your income, your inheritance, and uh, your, your influence to do things that punch the devil right in the face. That's right. That's what we're doing. This okay, time. own it or loan it as we wrap this. Well, let me just say this real quick, I, and, and we always say it. Thank you, Christian Healthcare Ministries, for being a, a right. podcast sponsor of ours. Expertownership.com slash CHM. Yes. They're Go a great help for You're an entrepreneur. your healthcare needs. It's incredible. Um, okay, so own it or loan it, the whoop. Oh, you got to own it. Okay, why? 100%. Own it. I mean, it just... Monitors everything, monitors your heart rate, your oxygen levels, your sleep. And, um, you know, what gets measured gets done. Mm. And it's a measuring device. Some people say that the it freaks them out. It gets them anxious and they just, they, they start, they, they look at it and they see that their recovery rate for their sleep was at like 38% and it freaks them out that day. And so they just, it creates too much anxiety. What do you yeah. say about that? Well, just don't think like that. <laughs> <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. I do agree with what gets measured gets done. So yeah, the whoop is the whoops definitely helped us. We need some kind of an affiliate fee or something from whoop. If we're going to push those guys. No, I'm just teasing. They're probably some radical company for all I know, but I do love their device. I've been using it. It's been helping me because I get to see my recovery rate. You know what I found out? So I've been by God's grace. I've been eating really healthy. And, um, and I decided, uh, about a week ago, I said, you know what? I'm going to eat some halo top ice cream and Jason and I, unfortunately, are addictive personalities. So if we're going to be doing something, we're going all in. And that's really good when it comes to your faith or when it comes to like pursuing excellence in the workplace. But it's really bad when it comes to uh, treating yourself with some delicacies uh, in terms of dessert. So I ate an entire pint of Halo Top ice cream with about a full cup of chocolate chips my recovery rate the next morning when I woke up uh, was about half of what my normal recovery rate was. So I'm like, okay, that's not good. So the, the next night, so I did this four straight nights because I have an addictive personality and I repented and I asked God, please forgive me of being gluttonous. I ate like while cool, I was eating, I ate a massive thing of Cool Whip with some more chocolate chips. My recovery rate was still in the 40s, which it's never there. It's usually in the set anywhere, the high 70s to low 90s. And which is a very good, solid recovery rate. And so I did that for four straight days. My recoveries were always in the thirties and forties. It was terrible. And I felt horrible. Then I was like, okay, God, please help me. Forgive me. I don't want to touch any sugar at all. The last two days I have not touched a drop of sugar. My recovery rate this, this morning was 94%. That is the power of daggum sugar in your life. You got to get the sugar out. But I, but, but I guess I could eat dark chocolate every once in a while, maybe before 7 p.m. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Just not too much. And then every now and then, 
Pour Some Sugar on Me. Oh, stop. It's stop. Greatest, Dude, that is not a great song. That's a greatest. hell song from Def Leppard. Yeah, they don't I honor God. It. Okay, stop. I'm rebuking Jason still, on air. It's just the 80s. Uh, listen, just it, I understand, but I still, we need Jesus. The 80s needs Jesus. Okay, but I do love the 80s, but whatever. This is ridiculous. We got to stop this podcast. Okay, God bless you guys. We will see you next time. I've been really, really feeling it. Feeling it. Gotta bust a move, watch out. Let's-